Welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast from the Western Front Association. With me, Dr Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the Great War and have around 60 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 9th of May, 2022, and this is episode 254. On this week's programme, I talked to historical researcher Giles Penman, studying at the University of Warwick, about his research into the use of Roman and Greek imagery on 1919 Peace Day mugs and medals. Giles spoke to me from his home in Kent. Giles, welcome back to the podcast for the second time. Could you start by telling us about yourself and how you became interested in the use of Roman and ancient Greek imagery on civic cultural artefacts of the Great War? Yes, um, so my name is Giles Penman and I'm a uh, researcher at uh, a research student at the uh, uh, University of Warwick. Um, and I became interested in, in um, looking at how um, uh, Roman and ancient Greek I- imagery um, w- was adapted for um, the, the First World War uh, when I studied, um, sorry, when I, when I began to study medals um, about five years ago. Um, and um, I started by, by looking at the imagery on uh, first on First World War military medals, um, and it really went from there. Um, I, I began to see the connection across different media, um, and uh, I became fascinated. And that's uh, yeah, that's where it began. Well, today we're going to talk about some of the souvenirs that were, were produced to mark Peace Day in 1919. Can you start by telling us when Peace Day happened and what it signified? Uh, yes, Peace Day took place on the 19th of July, 1919. And it signified the, uh, um, the peace after the signing of the Treaty of Versailles on the 28th of June 1919. Um, because whilst um, whilst the armistice was signed in November of 1918, um, that was very contingent. The Treaty of Versailles marked the final ending point of the war, and thus Peace Day was um, the the day of celebration to mark the end of the conflict. And did Peace Day actually have any sort of formal events or marches or parades at all to commemorate it? Uh, yes, P- Peace Day had a um, had a major parade through um, the centre of London. Uh, it was said that it was um, mark- earmarked for the 19th of July because that's when um, uh, um, the uh, American troops, uh, along with um, uh, their General Pershing, uh, would be in London at the time. Um, and so uh, it, it, that was then convenient, uh, a convenient day to hold the uh, uh, ceremony and the procession. Um, and, and whilst there was a major procession in London, um, local communities across the country had uh, similar events, um, both um, processions, but of um, of military personnel, um, lo- lo- local military personnel. They tended to be the uh, the local battalion. Um, but also um, pageants um, for the children, um, fancy dress play, uh, parties, uh, together with tea for the elderly and the children. Um, but the objects that I study are the peace medals and peace mugs that were awarded to children on that day. So you've talked about those. So what, what type of souvenirs were they and who made them and who, who were they given to? Yes, uh, as, I, as I said, um, they're given primarily to um, the children, although occasionally um, they were awarded to uh, local dignitaries and uh, soldiers also. 
Um, these were um, mugs and medals designed by private companies, um, but uh, um, in collaboration with the, the local civic authority. Um, so uh, the, the metal, metal companies or the ceramic firms would produce basic designs, um, which then the local community um, had the choice to adapt. Um, many, many chose to have, a, to have the generic um, type uh, medal or mug with no, with no additional changes to customise it for location, but um, others chose to have the reverse of the peace medal or an inscription on the mug um, changed to indicate uh, the specific location of Peace Day event for which that souvenir was awarded. Um, and these um, um, medals are medals and mugs are items that haven't been catalogued yet, or and they're not uh, museum objects. So it has been part of my research um, goals to produce catalogues um, for those items. Um, that is very much a work in progress because they're not museum artifacts. So it's not as though I can go to a museum and and just catalogue what they've got and complete it. It's been a process of going to internet auction sites and fairs and really trying to find out the, the limits of the of the body of uh, material myself. So it has been a real challenge, um, both uh, both in terms of time and. Uh, size of my wallet as well but uh, because I've had to acquire many of these objects to study them um, sadly um, the well not sadly but unfortunately members of the public aren't great necessarily great photographers so I can't I can't just simply use the photographs they put online always I have to um, acquire the item and photograph them myself but um, it's been a labor of love I, I have really enjoyed that aspect of the research but what is, what is significant um, about these these mugs is that they're, they're privately produced by private firms they're not um, they haven't been chosen by um, official bodies the official bodies have had to go to private firms and uh, and ask that and, and uh, take their designs and adapt them. Um, their designs to meet their local specification. Uh, this means that whilst um, local um, authorities are stamping their, are stamp making their mark, um, such as by changing the reverse of the medal or putting a, a, um, an inscription on the mark, nevertheless, they're still dependent on the, the designs of private firms. And this is something that we, that, that I've seen uh, mirrored across um, other First, First World War artifacts. Um, the recruitment posters, whilst they are uh, have re received the official sample a stamp of approval by Wellington House, the um, part of the um, Ministry of Information. Um, the posters themselves were predominantly um, designed and produced by private publishing houses, um, and and also um, ceramic war memorials that were uh, copies of um, locally and officially designed and ordained um, memorials. And nevertheless produced by private companies. So it's really intriguing for me to see that um, a great majority of First World War material culture with classicizing uh, imagery, that is imagery that derived from the classical world but has been adapted for the contemporary period, has in fact been produced by private companies, um, not, uh, not official bodies. So what was the purpose of uh, the, the production of these medals and mugs for Peace Day? Obviously, there's a commercial aspect and maybe a commemorative aspect, mm -hmm. but were there other dimensions to the, the motivation for companies to produce them? Um, yes. Um, 
and, and that's been an intriguing aspect of my research. But whilst um, the whilst the companies produce them for profit, um, they're commercial companies. After all, they have to try and turn a profit. Uh, the newspaper um, evidence suggests that um, the local local authorities, when handing them out at ceremonies to the children, uh, emphasised the um, the memory aspect to these objects that they were intended to remind the children of the importance of um, peace uh, and the the benefits of that peace, such that they would then take the memory of that peace furthest into the future. Um, this is so that's why they were, were awarded to children, so that the memory of that peace would would, would extend for as long as possible, um, and um, thus um, the emphasis. Of these objects is very much commemorative to commemorate um, the, the end of of the war and the subsequent peace. And were they popular with the general public? They were. They were popular. Yes. Um, the children um, on the on the photographs that appear in the local newspapers uh, appear to wear them proudly, and in fact were reported to be wearing them proudly. So that was something that was that reporters noted. Um, and even even adults um, would try and would try and steal them. A, um, a, a former um, former sergeant Loftus um, was was convicted of of stealing a, a little girl's um, peace mug um, from 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 her ha- from her house. And indeed, um, although it's an anecdote, it does demonstrate that adults would go to extraordinary le- could could go to extraordinary lengths to uh, obtain obtain one themselves. And, but there are there were more positive stories um, where certain um, certain adults wrote to uh, newspapers such as the Mrs. Wunkins, um that complaining that they their children hadn't received them because they were too young to go to school because the um, only certain to receive them the it was really only those who attended school and so um, because the parades were the parades were all organised according to which school the children went to in the in the in the, the local areas, and so if they didn't go to school, if they were too young to go to school, they didn't receive them. And uh, parents complained that their children ought to have received them as well because their fathers fought and died in, in the war. Um, at, but um, at the same time, there, there are parents who said that that their children would would cherish them because they they themselves would remind their children of how important that object was for remembering the peace and sacrifices that, that adults made. Um, and so to, to, uh, to, to sum up there, um, opinions about Peace Day souvenirs, um, whilst overwhelmingly popular, are also quite mixed. Uh, I, I should add a, another um, fa- famous story uh, that will appear in a, in a forthcoming um, article about uh, peace medals for the Western Front Association Journal. Um, the, the story of the Glasgow Peace Medal. Now, this, um, this is a u- unique design for, for Glasgow. There's no other no other medal that, that is like it. Um, but what is extraordinary is not so much the design; um, it is the the political, the local political story that surrounds it. Um, the Labour Party were the local Labour Party were, were disgusted at the the award of the medal and called it a, a waste of public funds. Um, they, they they resolved that those members of the Labour Party on the council ought to be, ought to give up the medal because it was a because of the, the public wastage that had been incurred. Um, but even even within that that organisation, there were um, members who disagreed, um, and so they wished so some wished to to keep it because the cost had already been incurred by the council and that handing them in wouldn't wouldn't actually do the council any good. 
uh, others wanted to keep it as a rightful memento of, of the, the struggle that the local men um, and indeed men around the country had gone to during the conflict. Um, at the end, it, the matter was quietly forgotten, um, but it, it does indicate the, the strength of opinion that could be uh, could be aroused by such small objects. Um, no, indeed, fascinating social stories, and I'm uh, very much looking forward to seeing my article on, on the subject in print. Now, many of these items feature classical imagery in their design. What exactly is classical imagery, and what type of images appeared on these items? Right, yes. So uh, I'll... Um, I'll start with the last part of that question. So um, the images that, that appear um, are um, predominantly uh, seated, seated figures of Britannia uh, wearing a, um, a Roman stola and pala, so that's like a dress with a, with a cloak, holding a trident and wearing a crested helmet. Um, and th- then also there are figures of victory um, ho- holding out a laurel wreath, um, and there are also um, prominently featured um, wreaths and palm branches as well, a- ancient symbols of victory. Um, now, it should be remembered that, that whilst these are images of classical origin, they haven't been just simply copied from the classical world. They have been um, adapted and uh, changed over time, o- over quite a considerable time uh, since the uh, um, since at least the, the late 17th century, um, um, classical images have been, uh, so metal engravers and artists have adapted classical images to, to meet um, contemporary political, British political imperial purpose uh, as for, to serve as examples of and justification for British imperial activity. And, and so Britannia isn't, isn't taken from, a, from ancient Roman coinage and simply drops into um, the First World War. She uh, she undergoes quite a transformation over a long period, and so her trident isn't something she had in the Roman world. It, it, um, that belonged to Neptune. She was uh, she was given that in the in the early nineteenth um, century um, after um, the uh, after a, a naval victory against the Dutch. I believe it's eighteen twenty seven, um, and then. She receives her helmet sometime later, um, t- towards the towards the middle half of the nineteenth uh, century, and so um, she 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 undergoes a significant significant change, um, and in so doing, she she is imbued with the uh, attributes of um, the Roman god of Roman god of the sea, Neptune, Roman and Greek god Neptune, uh, Athena. Uh, or Minerva, the Roman and Greek um, goddess of uh, wisdom and uh, armed warfare and, and, and strategic warfare, um, and also through through the helmet and, and the armor she wears, uh, she under she under she, she takes on the attributes of of Roma, the the personification of the city of Rome and, and, and the ancient Roman state, um, and indeed in her seated position, that with, with the shield um, on, on one side, she takes on a very significant aspect of, of Roma as well, because um, that's a, that's a very typical uh, position you see Roma in on, on Roman coinage. And so she she far from being a, a simple um, character, she she she's very complex. And and by taking on all, all those attributes, um, it, it um, you can see that the the nature of British imperialism and the nature of British Empire changes or um, appears to change visually. And so uh, one could argue. That over time, 
uh, this is um, a way of the British state changing ch- changing how it views itself and how it wishes to be viewed by the rest of the world and by the British people. And so when, when we see these images on the um, peace marks and peace medals of Peace Day, we have to see them with that understanding that, um, that these, these ancient imagery, um, in inverted commas, um, t- t- takes on attributes from the ancient world, but for very modern purposes, um, purposes which are very much tied to the British state, more more so than to the ancient world. But uh, it uses ancient imagery to to speak to speak about what modern imperial power is um, in wartime. And is the imagery would it have been a common reference point for all social classes in Britain at the time? Yes, that's that's a very very good question. Um, and um, scholars such as um, Edith Hall and Henry Stead and Elizabeth, Elizabeth Van Diver uh, and, a good, and a good many others have written about the class, classical education within Britain. And they've concluded that, yes, um, m- m- most sections, in fact, all sections of British society would have had some knowledge of the world and some knowledge of how this imagery related to their own time, this adapted imagery that I've, I've just spoken about, how how that reflected on the nature of British, the British Empire and British imperialism and British history in the contemporary present. So uh, they would indeed have understood what it meant, but um, as to whether they would have fully understood all of its ramifications, so all, all, all of its, all the detail, um, that, that's, that's not something that um, scholars have been able to, uh, to pin down, that, that they say that every, society, every section of society would have had some knowledge, but not, not everyone even within the same social bracket would have had the same knowledge to the same extent, because you can imagine even, even two, two, two schoolboys who are privileged enough to go to private school and learn Latin, ancient Greek and ancient history in class, not, not, they wouldn't have the same, uh, necessarily the same affinity for the subject or the same knowledge or the same cultural reference. So um, one, one boy might become really imbued with it and, and really know a lot about the ancient world but the other might not really have an interest in it and just want to walk and, uh, and leave the subject alone and, for, and forget most of what he'd learned um, and, and so as a result we can only say um, for certain that it would have been something embedded within British culture but to try to say try to be specific or, or general about make general statements about um, specific knowledge is quite difficult. And my final question is, where can people learn more about your research? Oh yes, so um, they can they can learn more by listening to the previous podcast that uh, you and I have have done, Tom. But also um, they can uh, read, hopefully, read about uh, peace mugs and um, and, uh, peace, and specifically the peace medals that I've um, been researching in a forthcoming Western Front Association journal article, which uh, I hope will be published very soon. Giles. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Buthworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Rusman and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time.